0: I'm going to be in the Gospel today. I don't know about you, but I read a lot. And one of the things that happens to me periodically is I'll be reading along and I'll finish a whole page and then I'll say, what did I just read? Because my eyes are sort of going on automatic pilot. Well, that happens to me, especially when I'm reading Scripture because I've read it over and over again. So, I was doing that the other day and all of a sudden something jumped out at me. In today's gospel reading, we have Yeshua's last parable. And that had never occurred to me. As he's walking along behind Simon of Cyrene, the women are weeping and so forth, and he says, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? That's the parable. So I went off looking for stuff and I found two interpretations both of which make sense the first interpretation has to do with 70 AD which is when Rome comes in and levels the place so the way you read that is if Rome does this to me who is innocent what do you think they're going to do to you when they think that you're in rebellion and then interpretation number two is theological if the father does this to me, his own son, what do you think he's going to do to you in eternity? You see the parallels there. So let's take them one at a time. As you all know that have read your Bible history, which is probably everybody. In 70 AD, Rome destroyed Jerusalem. And the reason that they did that is because Barcomsa, a Jew, set them up. He says, Jews are about to rebel, and I'll prove it to you. Send this sacrifice, and they'll refuse it. The deal was anybody could offer a sacrifice. I mean, the the Levites would actually do the sacrificing, but both Gentiles and Jews could come up and present a sacrifice. No big deal. And so what Barcapsa did was he took this sacrifice that the Romans had given him and cut its lip, which made it halakhically unsuitable. So the priests who were to do the sacrifice looked at this thing, and the Romans got no idea. It looks like a perfectly good sheep to them. But the priest said, no, sorry, can't do it. And that convinced the Romans that the Jews were about to rebel. And so they came in and destroyed the whole place. And in context, it makes a lot of sense. Let me read the passage again to you in context. So I'm back up to Luke 23:27. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Yeshua said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So in context, absolutely fits the events of 70 AD because the Romans came in and destroyed everything. And in fact, there's a saying that was common among the Jews. It's in the Babylonian Talmud, which is, thus people say, if there are two dry billets and one wet one, the former will burn the latter. Which is to say, if you got three sticks of wood, one of them is green, the other two are seasoned. The fire that's kindled in the two dry ones will eventually catch the green one and consume it all. The idea there is if good people are among bad people, then what's going to happen when the bad are finally taken care of is the good are going to go with them. That's what the that thing means. And so you could look at Yeshua's parable in exactly that way. You are all weeping for me, so we can take them as being good people. But you live among a sinful people. Therefore, when the sinful people get taken out, you're going to go with them. Perfectly in context, no problem. I want to talk more about what the eternal interpretation is. One of the things that's really, really important about this, and it just occurred to me this week as I was studying and all this, Yeshua was executed legally. Pontius Pilate had the authority to do what he did. And in the gospel reading, you've got this mob out there yelling. It should remind you of what's going on in their courts in the Midwest, where you've got the Kyle Rittenhouse and Derek Chauvin. What you've got are mobs that are howling for their death and they are trying to intimidate the jurists and the judges. So, regardless of what you think about the verdicts, the atmosphere around them makes the proper administration of justice almost impossible. And that's what's going on with Pilate. Pilate doesn't much care, one Jew or another, I don't care, I'm a Roman, they're Jews, I don't care. So. He is intimidated by the crowd because the thing he doesn't want is a riot in the city. So when the crowd indicates, you don't give us the right guy, we're going to have a riot, we think black lives matter. Pilate says, one Jew, another Jew, I don't care, give him that one. So he is crucified legally in accordance to the law, but not correctly. But he is crucified correctly. The deal there is, and I will take you to 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 5, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself to us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the deal was God put all of the sins on the sacrificial lamb, so God made him sin for our sakes. So both in the Roman sense and in God's eyes, The crucifixion was legal. So, it's important that Yeshua was not lynched. The Jews have no problem lynching people. Witness Stephen in the book of Acts, who was lynched. Witness Paul, who was lynched once in one of the cities where he traveled by the Jewish synagogue. And then was attempted to be lynched when he made his final trip to Jerusalem outside the temple and somebody says ah this man brings Gentiles into the temple and Ahmad comes up and they're going to lynch him and it's only the Romans that come in and intervene and that sends him on to Rome and so forth. So lynching people is not a problem. Especially if they think that this person has done something deserving of it. But it's important to understand that Yeshua was not lynched. He was, in fact, executed in accordance with the law. And so, going back to our proverb, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? The message there is, the father did this even to his own son. How much more will he do it to you, who are sinful and are not his own son? So you can see that proverb... Either way, and both of them I think are perfectly legitimate. So let's talk about sin, forgiveness, repentance, grace, and all that stuff, because that's where this all leads. I have said this many times, some of you are new and haven't heard it. God's physical universe, everything has to balance. I'm an engineer. So if you push, you put a force here, the mass is going to react, it has to balance. Everything that we've built depends on God's laws of physics and everything balanced. Well, God's moral laws are also every bit as inflexible as God's physical laws. But the difference between God's moral laws and God's physical laws is there's a time delay. So you murder somebody and God's moral universe will eventually catch up with you. But there's a time delay. And so you have this opportunity to think that you got away with it. And that opportunity, that time delay, is to allow room for repentance and the execution of God's grace as opposed to God's wrath. But again, understand that the moral laws that God tells us in his Torah are every bit as rigid and inflexible as are the physical laws of his universe. So, lots of you have children. And one of the things that you observe with children is they learn by trial and error. And one hopes that the trials don't kill them. In other words, if you see your three-year-old approaching a socket with a fork, you really want to catch him before he gets there because the error there may be irrevocable. But when you tell your kid, don't touch that, it's hot, don't touch that, it's hot, and sooner or later you got burned little fingers and then he finally understands what you mean. That's the way we learn. We're designed to learn that way. And that trial and error process can be short-circuited by education. So God puts children with parents, and the parents are supposed to educate them and short-circuit some of that experimentation. Say your two-year-old approaching a socket with a fork, you really want to short-circuit that one. That's the purpose of education. And so what God gives us is his Torah. And that's intended to short-circuit for us some of that trial and error. So we don't have to learn it all by hard experience. In other words, you don't have to learn that stealing a sheep is bad. God tells you, don't steal sheep because it will go poorly with you eventually. So the way science works, experience works and everything is you get some idea. Ooh, I've got this fork and it looks like it'll fit in the light socket. And then what you do is you perform an experiment. Head toward the light socket with a fork. And then the experiment gives you feedback. In that case, it knocks you on your little diaper and you realize all of a sudden that's not really a good idea. So then you can evaluate your behavior against a standard. And the standard is if I stick a fork in the socket, I'm going to go out my diaper. I don't really want to do that. And then what you can do is learn from it, which is to say, repent and not do it again. So that's how God treats us. He gives us a standard. He gives us his Torah. He gives us free will. And free will allows us to try things. God doesn't stop us when we head for the socket with our fork. Because we have free will. But there will be consequences to your behavior. There always are. And what creation does, God's... Universe is it's the ideal vehicle for raising people because his universe gives us feedback. That's what it's designed to do. And the deal there is we're supposed to learn from that feedback, which allows adjustment and repentance. It allows us time to make some mistakes, adjust, and repent. That's the way it's designed to work. That's the way it does work. Now, again, you have that time delay, so you'll have lots of people who will commit sins and so forth and go years before the universe catches up with them. And that leads people to think that, Aha, I got away with it. Or nobody's watching. Or God doesn't care. However you want to phrase that. That's what the time delay does. Now, one last thing. Coming back to Yeshua. Remember I said that God's justice is every bit as mechanical, if you will, as God's laws of physics. So the question then becomes, what allows God to exercise grace and mercy upon us when we violate his laws while he still remains just? He's not some cosmic sugar daddy. Oh, well, they're there. It doesn't really matter. We'll overlook that. No, that isn't the way it is. He doesn't overlook. What he does is forgives. There's a difference. You can tell. They're spelled differently. Overlook and forgive are not the same thing. He doesn't overlook, he forgives. And the thing that allows him to forgive while still maintaining his absolute justice is the fact that Yeshua is on the other side of the balance. So what we have is God is able to look at us when we repent and say, yes, I forgive you because his sense of justice has been satisfied in the sacrifice of the one upon whom he put all the sin. Christian Theology 101. That's why Yeshua had to be executed legally. Justice had to be served both in the Roman sense and in God's eyes by the crucifixion and the lynching wouldn't have done the job. That's why everything had to be legal. And then in Yeshua's last parable he looks around at him and says if my father will do this to me his beloved son imagine what will happen to you who actually deserve it. That's I think the eternal message of that parable. And again, there's the temporal one about Rome. So, one of the things that happens in Christianity, and indeed in humanity in general, I mean it's not limited to Christians, is we tend to judge ourselves by our own standards. We think, I'm a good person. Yeah, I've made some mistakes, but on balance I'm pretty good. And furthermore, my behavior is that eh, it's almost right. It's good enough. Certainly, it's something that would satisfy my boss. But what you aren't counting on is the fact that God is not your boss. And in fact, God is the one that created everything, and his sense of justice is absolute. So, this idea of, well, it, close enough. Is in fact a trap. In fact, there's a term for it. It's called greasy grace, which is to say, yeah, whatever I do, grace will cover it. It doesn't really matter. And that's what I'm saying this attitude of good enough. And there's a thing in, oh, I've forgotten which prophet it is, where it says, you guys are bringing blemished offerings up to my altar. Try giving that to your governor and see if he'll accept it. And that's the same attitude. God will forgive. It's good enough. And it's very human. You see it in the case studies in Scripture. You see it all around us in our culture and everything. And that is not correct. God wants you to be perfect. He says so. Now, he understands that you're not going to be, but that's the standard. That's what he wants. And that's the whole purpose of this part of your life. You have a next part of your life that's coming up. And the purpose of this part of your life is to develop your character and perfect you. And if you go through this part of your life thinking that your behavior is good enough, you have missed an opportunity. Because what he wants to do is use this world to turn you into somebody he wants to be with for eternity. So don't go buying into this that it's good enough. God's grace will cover it. God knows my heart. Yeah, he does, and he's disgusted. Now, one more thing. Matthew 18.21 Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Yeshua said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven times. That's also talking about God. So you don't get seven mistakes and then everything is up. It's seventy times seven, which is a metaphor, obviously. For as often as you come to him in sincere repentance, he will forgive you. So the attitude that, well, I'm... So rotten, and I'm so far gone that there's no hope for me, and I might just as well go on enjoying being simple. That's also an error because mercy, grace, and forgiveness are always available when you come to Him with a sincere heart. And a little joke I use is one of the things lots of people do, especially those who are in the greasy grace camp, is they keep a goat out in back, and whenever they've sinned, they like to bleed it a little, throw some blood on the altar, but they never kill the goat because they're going to need the blood again tomorrow. You've got to kill the goat. You've got to truly repent. You have got to try your best not to do it again. And if you're sincerely trying your best not to do it again and you stumble and fall, that's when the 70 times 7 kicks in. God wants to forgive. He wants you to learn. He wants you to develop in this world into something that he is really going to enjoy spending time with. So don't fall into the trap of, well, it's good enough, and move on. Confront your sins, and we all have them, look at them straight in the face, repent of them, and decide not to do it again. And even if it takes 70 times 7 times, keep working on it until it's finally out of your life. And I fully understand that some of these things take a while. But if you don't approach them like you're stomping on snakes, you're never going to get rid of them. So the mercy and grace of God are always available. But He's not dumb. And if you can figure out what the problem is here, I guarantee you He can. I mean, He knows the difference between sincere repentance and depending on Greasy Grace. So remember, 70 times 7 times, and He wants you to succeed. He's on your side. He wants you to make it. So don't disappoint Him any more than you have to.